Good morning, everybody. I had a request from my son to tape this. I don't know why, but I really didn't want to, but I promised him I would. Isn't it great to be here today? Amen. Because the fact is that we still have our freedom to worship in spirit and truth. And the thing about it, we need to be grateful for that because times are changing. And if you haven't seen the times, I'm a little surprised because the fact is it's everywhere. It's on the news. It's in the case rulings. It's everywhere that we see it. And the thing about it is, is that we even had a preacher in California, not of Church of Christ, but it was a preacher that held Bible study on a Wednesday night, and he was arrested and he was thrown in jail. And that was one of the things that they had and broadcasted about. And another one was in Canada, and he was holding services, and about 10 officers came in to shut it down. And at that point, I think some of you heard about that, is that he quoted the law to them, and the law says that if you come in our services today, at that point, you are breaking the law yourself because the law says it's a misdemeanor and it's a jailable offense. And with those words, he drove them out, not with a stick, not with a hand, not with anything, but saying, you are breaking the law. And they backed out, and he locked the door, and he went on with his services. Today, what are we going to do? Where are we going to stand? Because times are coming when there may come a day when they come in here. There may come a day that says that we cannot worship openly. Is that anything new? No. In the first centuries, they went into catacombs, and they continued to worship. Is it unusual to be persecuted for your faith? No. In the first century, they drug them out of their houses and they said, if you won't uh, worship uh, the emperor, then you're going to die. Well, some of them died by sword right there. Some of them died in the arena by gladiators and by lions. They were martyrs and they died standing for their faith. The question that we have to ask is, where do we stand? What do we stand upon? And the two things I want you to think about today is, do we stand upon the truth? And secondly, does our actions show it? Because, you know, we can say that we stand for the truth, but if we're not acting upon that truth, then is it so? If you turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, and I'm going to back up to 19 because the fact is Peter is driving home the point. And what I like about what Peter is saying here is that he says, you know something, I want you to know that what I'm talking to you about is not a fable, it's not a legend, it's not something made up, it's something that I personally saw. Because he's talking about the transfiguration, he's talking about when he was on that mount, he's talking about when he heard God, this is my son, when he's talking about those things and he saw the majesty of Christ, he knows that personally and he's talking to them about that. And he says in verse 18, And we're, we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mount. And so we have the prophet's word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. We have light. Even in this dark day and age, it doesn't matter. The light still shines because God's word still shines. And he says not only that, but it says, until the day dawns, dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. 
That means it's not coming from me, what I'm reading here. That means it's coming from God. It's not coming from Peter. It's coming from God. God is moving men to speak and teach and write accurately what God wants of us. And it says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Some words have it that they breathed in them, making sure that they got it exactly right. You know what is amazing, when you look at the prophets in the Old Testament, how they prophesied, and at that point those prophecies came about. They were fulfilled. Look at what Isaiah has to say about Christ. Look at Christ coming and fulfilling exactly what Isaiah said hundreds of years before Christ even came. How could he know that? He couldn't know that except for God. When you look at this and when you think about it, then you need to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. When you turn over there, Paul is trying to drive home the point to Timothy, which was like a son to him. He's driving home the point. He said, all scripture is inspired, given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. When you read that, then you know that we've got everything that we need. You know, we have been given a toolbox with tools in it, and there's not one tool minus. When you do a job and you get out a toolbox in my place, usually there's a tool minus. People have helped themselves and not put it back. But let me guarantee you this, is that when you pick up God's Word, that manual is not going to be short on anything. Now, I've had combine manuals that just seem not to tell you exactly what was going on. But I'll tell you, I'll guarantee you this, when you study and you read and you pray about God's Word, I'll tell you, you're going to find the answer because God's going to give you what you need so that you can be equipped for every battle that you go through, including the battles that we're going through today. When you look at it here, you can turn to Revelation chapter 22, and John was concluding his book, and some say it was the last book that was written. And at that point in Revelation chapter 22, and you pick up with 18 and 19, you pick up over there and it says, For I testified to everyone who hears the word of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. So if we add to what God has said, and it's, he's saying it's about this book, but it's a prophecy and it's coming from God. Anything that God has given us, we can't add to. We can't just keep adding on saying, oh, it's okay, you know, God's, God's understanding and God's loving and God's kind and God's going to think it's okay because I did it in the right attitude. But no, it says anybody that adds to, but it also says that if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Okay, so if we add to or we subtract, it kind of reminds me of the story that was given one night. The preacher was going and he was studying with this very, very nice woman. And she was up in her ages. And at that point, he was sitting down and she was very knowledgeable. And boy, as the study went, it went well until they hit the word baptism. And as they hit the word baptism, 
He kept saying, you know, baptism is something that's very important and required because that's the only way we contact the blood of Christ. And she said, nope, I don't have baptism in my Bible. Nope, I don't have baptism in my Bible. And finally he looked over and as she lifted up the page and turned it, she had cut out the word baptism with a razor blade and there was not one word in her Bible about baptism. Now, that's what a lot of people are doing today. And a lot of people are saying, okay, I can do whatever I want to do. It's okay. But it's not okay. And think about it, even when we're doing God's will, if we haven't kept our hearts right, it's still not right. Turn to Revelation chapter 2. And we get over there, and it's about the church of Ephesus. And he gives a glowing commendation about that church. And a glowing commendation it is. And it's a commendation that I'd like to get, except for the last part. He says this, he says, I know in verse 2, your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and that you've tested those who say they're apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Wow. Every one of those things I'd like to have because I'd like to say, yeah, I'm doing that. But here's where he hits Ephesus right between the eyes. It says this, and you, therefore, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Wow. Here was a church that was doing things right, but they were going for the motions. They were just doing the actions of it, but their heart was not in tune with God. God was not number one. They weren't doing the works out of love for God. You know, what does it say in Matthew chapter, uh, at that time, 24, it says, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And you know, it says, and that lawyer was trying to catch Jesus in a trap, and he was trying to, at that point to catch him, and yet what Jesus said, he couldn't say anything against because it's exactly what God wanted then. It's the same as today, that we need to love God more than everything else question I have is, do I? Yeah. I polish my boots quite often. Because you see, I step all over my toes quite often, and a lot of times I stick it in my mouth and chew vigorously. But the bottom line is this. Are we truly loving God and serving God the way we should? You know, when you stop there, you think about the things that are going on today. And you think about Paul being attacked in the Corinthian church by false teachers that were coming down, Jewish teachers that at that point were saying Paul was not an apostle. Paul didn't tell you the truth. And that's the passage that Christian did a great job of reading today. Thank you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 6 through 7, you turn over there, and at that point, Paul was having to defend himself. But I like what verse 7 says in the very first part of 7. It says, I'm defending myself by the word of 
truth. Wow. The word of truth. He was defending himself by God's word. And you know, today we need to look at it is that can our actions show that we truly are holding to the truth? Do our words say that we're holding to the truth? Everything that we do, because when you back up, Paul says this, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God, in much patience and tribulations, in verse 4, in need, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in turmoils, in labor, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, and I want to say it like this, I want to reword that, by my purity you know me, by my knowledge you know me, by my long-suffering you know me, by my kindness you know me, by the Holy Spirit you know me, by the sincere love I showed you you know me, and it says by the word of truth you know me, because I told you the truth, and it says by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by my honor you know me. There is at that point a demonstration of a person that not only talked the walk, but he walked the walk. Because he walked it, he lived it, he breathed it, and people could see it. And he demonstrated it to them, and he demonstrated not only that way by the actions of his life, but it says in 12.12 of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12.12, he says over there, he says, truly the signs of my apostleship, and I added mine in there because that's what Paul was saying, were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Those false prophets that were coming down there speaking and teaching, they didn't have the power Paul had. They didn't have the truth. They didn't have the purity of their lives. They were liars. They were teaching things that were not true. Just as Paul told the church in Galatia in chapter 1, he said, If I come to you and preach to you any other message than what I have preached, let me be accursed. But an angel or anybody else comes, let him be accursed. He said it twice. He was driving home the point, you have the truth. And he goes ahead and he says not only that, but you were running the race so good, what? hindered you what deceived you why did you get deceived it's because the fact is we're supposed to hold to the truth we're supposed to practice the truth daily in our walk of life if you turn to Romans chapter 6 or chapter 12 verse 6 or verse 9 Romans chapter 12 verse 9 you turn over there and you have to stop and you have to ask ourselves we are here today as a congregation. What does the town of Flagler see in us as a church? What do our friends and neighbors that we work with on a continual basis, what do they see in us? Now listen to what Paul had to say and think about that in the way of our church and a way of ourselves individually. He says, let love be without our hypocrisy. Is our love here amongst ourselves without hypocrisy? It says, abhor what is evil. Do we abhor what is evil? 
You know, the thing, we've been numbed, and I say numbed, and you get that way sometimes in, in my profession because you can get numb seeing and reading the affidavits and the arrest warrants and everything else of what people do. But we get numb by the commercials, by the, the things that are constantly put forth before us saying these things are okay. And what does God's word say? That's what was amazing to me how many people came out of the blocks about abortion at that point when back east they were talking about how at that point the baby was born they're going to make the baby comfortable and if the mother wanted the baby fine if the mother didn't they were going to kill the baby and yet how have we stood on that issue when at that point the scriptures teach that at that point that's not what God wants do you know we're only a, a few countries in the world that commends and allows abortion? That most countries in the world don't. Yet we do. But is that what God wants? No. That's what His Word says. Are we going to ignore it? Are we going to just say wipe away and say no way? I'm not going to listen to what God has to say. I'm going to do it my way. You know, there's so many things when it says abhor what is evil. Today we're being challenged and we must face that challenge head on. And how can we face it if we compromise, if at that point we begin to waffle, if we begin to capitulate, and we begin at that point to say it's not the truth when that's what God's Word says. We need to live it. We abhor what is single because he says cling to what is good. Hold to what is good. Don't concede. It says also be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. Do we do that? I think we do. Not lagging in diligence. It says fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. It says rejoicing in hope, patience in tribulation. Continually and steadfast in prayer. I think that's something that we need to continue to press and pray more and more and more. What does Second uh, Thessalonians 5.17 says? Pray without ceasing. But how much time, prayer time do we have? Are we prayer warriors as they say? Do we give everything to God? Do we look to God to lead us and take care of us? I mean, we should. It goes on to say not only that, but it says, go ahead, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patience in tribulation, continuing with steadfast in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints. I think we're great at helping other people in our congregation. Given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. You know, when you read those things, it's saying that our example should be such that people can see the light that shines in us. They can see the light of Christ. You know, when you turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 12, Paul was talking to the church at Thessalonica. 
And when you get over there, he says something interesting because the fact is, he tells them, of course, you know, a lot of them had gone out and sat on the hill waiting for Christ to come. And at that point, he says, no, 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 you don't do that. But he says at this point in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and you pick up in verse 11, and it says that you also inspire to lead a quiet life. It says that not only lead a quiet life, to mind your own business. Oh, can't be busybodies. <laughs> but it says also not only to mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly towards those who are outside, that you may lack in nothing. We need to live in such a way that people can see that we are practicing what God's Word says. And do it in a proper manner. And it says not only that, but in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11, picking up over there, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. He's begging them, he says, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Live in such a way that they can't find fault with you. They can say bad things, but it's not going to be true. And they'll know it. And they're only going to be able to give God the glory because your life is a reflection of what's right, what's true, what's proper, what's honorable. It says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Turning back over there where Paul says at this, 14 and 15, he says, Do all things without complaining and, and disputing. Oh, we can't grumble and fuss and gripe and complain. Oh, boy. But it says that, do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as a light in the world, holding fast the word of life. A lot was said by actions. Because, you know, we say we have the truth, we've got a hold of the truth. And we've got to demonstrate the truth for us to be effective, for us to have that reputation that we need. You know, when you think about what's going on today, it's nothing new. But you know what's great about it is, is that we do have God. Because as we have become Christians and have been buried with Christ in the baptism and rise to walk in newness of life, as Romans chapter 6 says, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have that gift within us. And that gift gives us strength. He, we have a sign, we have a guarantee, we have a seal, and that if God is with us, who can stand against us, as Romans chapter 8 says. That means we stand for the truth no matter what, because you know something? We have victory in death. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says. That death, the sting of death has been taken away. What sustained those Christians in the first century when they were being persecuted to death was they knew they had a greater place to go. Far grander, far greater, and they looked forward to that. 
because they got to go home. So no matter what we go through, no matter where we go, what we say, let's stand for God's word and let's practice it in every way possible. Because if we do, we're going to make a huge difference in this day, in this age. Because they want us to shut up. They want us to go home. They want us to shut the doors. They want us to cow. They want us to waffle. They want us to compromise. They want us to capitulate. They want us to run away because we are the moral conscience of our nation. But not only our nation, but of the world. Because what we have constantly pricks them. And it says in Corinthians that we are a fragrance of sweet aroma to God, but the stench of death to the world. And only way that we're a stench of death to the world is when we continue to speak the truth, live the truth, stand for the truth, and our actions demonstrate it and show it. Today, what do you stand for? I have to ask myself that. Because times are ticking. Times are getting more troublesome. But what do you stand for? Do you believe in God's word enough to put your faith and trust in it? More than what the demons did in James chapter 2 where they believed and shuddered, but they didn't take any action? Or do you believe in it enough that you act upon it to change your life and live according to God's word? If you haven't been baptized, you need to be baptized because the fact is that baptism washes away your sins. You come in contact with the blood of Christ. You're buried with him and to rise to walk in newness of life. That's what that is. And then you have that gift of the Holy Spirit. You have that extra edge that people don't have that is of the world. We can win and we will win if we trust in God. Do you trust in God? Won't you make up your mind as we come and stand and sing? Dear Jesus, for the cleansing power, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? When July 4th comes around, it only makes sense to celebrate this event. It makes sense to me to think of fireworks. Some people like parades and others like a lot of good food. I still liked a lot of good food, and the parades are okay. But when it comes down to 4th of July, I think of fireworks. It just makes sense to watch fireworks and to thank God for our freedom that we have in this fine country. And that's the lesson today. James, it makes sense. Prayer, confess, and rejoice. The first point is prayer. Prayer is really a blessing, is it not? The opportunity to pray to God, to think about Him, to, to share some thoughts. Like those times that we need for deliverance in suffering or in sickness, as many of us go through throughout our lives. Time for prayer for our enemies who persecute us. We should pray for them too. To help when we face temptations. That's a great moment for prayer and those important choices like Jesus did when he chose the disciples. He used that moment for time of reflection and prayer. 
Prayer is an important and helpful way that God gave us to communicate with him. And we should do it sincerely, often, and with the right motives. We should pray with the right motives. Because what situation in our life doesn't need God's help? Suffering, for example, is a great moment to pray. James talks about this in James chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Now, immediately, you probably go to the idea that suffering in that text means sickness. Well, I definitely think that sickness is a suffering. But this suffering here is about affliction, things that are happening to us. Crystal shared an experience with me a while back ago. There she is. I was looking over there. Uh, in her time in Mexico, I believe it was in Mexico, she was studying with a particular lady, and Crystal offered a prayer. It was just the two of them, and the lady looked at her with awe and like, can you pray to God? Well, yeah, everybody can pray to God. I hope I got the story right, Crystal. And so Crystal showed her that, hey, praying to God is something that makes sense. It's something that God offers the individual. The passage in James is just one example in the New Testament about the importance of prayer. It deals with evil, it deals with hardships, it deals with troubles, and all other kinds of afflictions. Those things that, that cause us suffering, that, that we need some extra help, we need someone to talk to, we need, we need assistance, or we need to pray for strength or faith to deal with the situation that's in front of us. But look at the passage, what the passage says. It says, you, that is the one who is suffering, pray. So right away, Crystal's not making up a, a, a teaching saying that she has the ability to pray and teaching somebody else that they can pray too. It's something that James says real clearly that you who are suffering should pray. I think that's a good thing. It makes sense to pray since we have a relationship with God through Christ. God gave us that blessing. Sick. Anybody ever been sick or have, have worked with a, a family member who's been sick? Sure, Ethan, you've been sick. We've all been sick. We've all had sick and illnesses. Well, what does James say about that? Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. James chapter 5, verse 14. So my question is, or my thought is, immediately, why call the elders if you're sick? Is there a difference in, I can pray for myself when I'm suffering, but I can't pray for myself when I'm sick? No, not really. I think there's something else going on here that a person who is sick in a particular scenario just says, hey, I need people of a spiritual nature around me who need to help me. I'm, I'm weak, I'm struggling, maybe with my faith, or maybe with the sin, or maybe in not any of those areas. I just have this terrible sickness that I just need some strength. But if the elders are needed, call them. They might not be physical doctors, although there is an opportunity for them to bring ointment. As you might already know, in the first century, Ointment was used in various ways. One of those ways was as a healing ointment. Maybe there was a type of sickness that somebody needed healing. I'm guessing that that wasn't a cheap item. 
Maybe the elders were uh, in charge of that. And uh, they went and took care of the person in the name of the Lord. See, I think that's the kicker there, isn't it? In the name of the Lord. So the elders go, they pray for the person who is sick. They anoint with oil if that needs to be the case. So they were basically healthcare workers also at that time. And our elders do a good job going visiting those who are in the hospital and those who are sick as well and encouraging. And they offer prayers and people pray for each other. You need encouragement sometimes when you're sick. You need prayer and maybe you need assistance in your faith. Anybody ever here dealt with something and you go, why me, God? Why me? Why me, God? You know, that, that's, in my opinion, that's a cry for help. <laughs> well, why not you? You need God just like everybody else. Hey, here's an opportunity for you to go, hey, let me call the elders. Let me get some people over here. I need some prayers because I'm struggling. Having people praying together, even with our spiritual leaders, is an important act of taking care of certain needs and concerns. A time of dire circumstances might need a spiritual leader to pray with you or for you. I still remember being in the hospital as a little kid who came and visited me. Well, lots of people did. But I remember deacon, an elder. I remember other families. They had no idea what was wrong with me. I had no idea what was wrong with me. And they still haven't figured out what was wrong with me. Now we go to other means by which to figure out what's wrong with me. Bill got that one. So, but they came, didn't they? They prayed with me and for me, didn't they? They were somebody I looked up to and was like, wow, they would come here just for me? Being a, what, probably 12 or 13 year old, they would just come here for me. And of course, my parents were there too. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Overall, it makes sense to have a loving group of Christians share in prayer during your time of sickness. It makes sense rather than dealing with a sickness all alone, as some people are inclined to do. I can handle it on my own but there's something that God is telling us that spiritual leaders are there and should be there to help us not be alone and encourage us maybe when we're weak in our faith James also brings out the idea in this context of confess confession comes with being human to acknowledge to own up to something to plead guilty or come clean. Confess is one of those things that I think is just part of the human existence because we all do something that we need to confess. We've done something wrong or not fully right, which is really wrong. As an example, we look at the child with chocolate on his face. To who ate the cake? Justin's probably never said that phrase. Who ate that cake? I don't know, <laughs> as the chocolate covers his face. I don't know, but you know better. What do you want to happen? You want the child to own up, to confess, to admit his wrong and be honest. I think confession has a lot to do with honesty. 
It's not, as some people might use it, an opportunity to put the thumb down on somebody and say, oh, now I have control over you because now you confess to your faults and I know better. Well, great, I've confessed to my faults, but you don't own me. It's an acknowledgement. It's a, it's a way to help me grow. If I am willing to do it in such a way that pleases God and my dad who might say, Son, there's chocolate on your face. Let's not do and start a practice of lying to me. This is not going to end well for you. Confession is a form of honesty, is it not? There's a phrase to use, it's called uh, the alien sinner. It's, it's, it's an older term, you might be very familiar with it. It basically means not somebody from outer space who's a sinner. It basically means someone who's never come to Christ, ever. Therefore, they're alien to that salvation that comes through Christ. The alien sinner, we are asked to confess, are we not, before we become a Christian? Confession is one of those examples that we see in Scripture of what people who are believers who are not in Christ yet uh, admit to. Again, confession is an admission of, of wrong, of, of something. What have we done wrong before coming to Christ? Well, what haven't we done wrong before coming to Christ? And that alien sinner who never had the blessings of, of the blood of Christ cover his sins, they have not chosen to be in a relationship with Jesus. Well, that's something we need to confess and admit to. Jesus is not my Lord. He is not my Savior. He is not saving me. I am a lost. I need to confess that. Is that a right or is that a wrong? Well, that's a definite wrong. I am lost. I am out in the world, living in a way I might be a good person. There's a lot of good person, people. But have I chosen to have Jesus cover me in my sins? Have I chosen him to be the one who I follow? Well, no. I have to confess that I've done it on my own and I've blown it. They have not been uh, saved, immersed in the water for forgiveness of sins. In fact, they truly have never confessed. Before you became a Christian, you confessed to a couple of things, haven't you? You confessed that Jesus is Christ, God's Son. Jesus is Messiah, God's Son who is God. We talked about the covenant this morning, the covenant of blood. Where did that, who did that come through? Jesus Christ, part of God's plan. The Holy Spirit's involved. We confess that every week that he sacrificed his life for our sins. We confess every week that he is the son of God. We do that as Christians. But the alien sinner hasn't done it yet. He might mentally understand it, but he hasn't chosen to follow in a way that pleases God. So that confession is important. But we as Christians have confessed our allegiance to Christ as the leader and savior of the faith. You have confessed that you have done wrong, that you have sinned, that you need 
salvation. When you choose to follow Christ and you commit your life to Him, the alien sinner has never done that until they're ready to change. The Christian confession, as we all know, there are people who call Christian hypocrites. Have you ever been called a hypocrite? Or have you ever said, those people down that way are hypocrites? Well, you may be struggling with your faith. And to the world who has an idea that uh, what Christianity is, you do look like a hypocrite. Why? Because you're struggling. You're having a hard time. Well, that's the time to admit to something that I need to grow, that I need to be better, live life better as a Christian. I need to admit that I've screwed up and that people out in the world are seeing that. Now, they might have the complete wrong perception, to be sure. And we understand that God gives grace to those who are His. And we struggle with the things that we deal with in this life. And just because we become Christians doesn't mean we're suddenly perfect in every way and we don't have struggles. So why would they call us hypocrites? Because they expect us to be, they don't know. They don't understand. God does. Do you think he still wants you to confess in your life that, hey, you need him? That you've blown it a few times? That you can use some extra help? Yeah. Confession's not meant to be a tool to make people feel bad. It's meant to be a tool to help people look to the place that, to God who will make things better. It's so important when we deal with the world to let them know that we're not perfect. We do struggle. And that just makes things more real, I think. When we struggle, we should seek, though, help confessing our sins with each other. Now, I'm not going to go out into the world and say, hey, I got this struggle. I might in certain circumstances if I'm just sharing. But where's your should be your safe place to confess and admit when you have struggles, when you have wrongs, when you have a need to go, hmm, uh, I'm not doing very well in this particular case. Well, Christians, Christians who are hopefully mature and recognize, well, I got enough struggles too that uh, I'm not going to embarrass you and, and say that I'm better than you. No, of course not. You're gonna put their arms around somebody who struggles as they confess to one another and go, hey, let's pray together. Let's talk about it. Let's bring the elders in, in a particular case that where that sickness might be a spiritual issue. And I'm not saying all sicknesses are a spiritual issue, but there may be some. Call an elder, get some spiritual help. Therefore, according to James chapter five, verse 16, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. There's something about confession that helps in our healings. Now this passage uh, helps us recognize that it's okay to confess. It's okay to let admit 
you're not fooling anybody. We all know we each of us have issues and problems. It's not going to be a big surprise, I don't think. Rely on those people who've been there, who are your elders and, and spiritual leaders who can help you in this way. But sometimes sickness can come from a lifestyle opposed to God. We are engaging in purposeful wrongdoing and it manifests itself in a sickness. I can't speak to everyone's issues, but if we are spiritually sick and we confess to God and certain other Christians who can support us, who can encourage us, who can pray with us, well, James says that's beneficial. It makes sense. It makes sense. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. That's the key. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. James chapter 5, verse 14 through 16a. And that leads us to the third point. Rejoice. Rejoice is fun. Rejoice is neat. Rejoice is a part of James. Rejoice is part of the Christian life. This weekend, it was our pleasure to be a part of the Lads of the Leaders. And so many people of you have prayed and were involved and, and uh, are tired from this experience. It was a culmination of fellowship. Bible study and event preparation, parental involvement and encouragement to improve our skills, to be more useful servants of God and His kingdom. One of the blessings that comes from such an event is the joy a person gets. That's why at the end, they try to celebrate and help the kids get all loud and rowdy and raise their hands and encourage each other. You, you did this, you did that, you did this. You can do better, you can, but you did it. You got in there. Praise, rejoicing. I particularly like the idea of having people, especially from Flagler, meet other people outside of our community and to refresh some of those relationships that you've had with people in the past. It's a good thing. Living in rural areas where people of like mind and are fewer, it is a positive dose of energy and awareness. When we see others striving to grow in Christ and enjoy the fellowship of competition in the events, it is cause for rejoicing. It is a cause for rejoicing. Scripture lets us know that there are two great reasons for a Christian to rejoice. Can you think of those two right off the top of your head? I'm not going to trick you. But they all have to do with salvation. One, well, let me go back. This passage helps us understand why at the end of James. The last two sentences or phrase or one sentence as I look at it in James takes up two verses. The last two. I think that's probably as important as the first verse that you see. My brothers, if any of you wanders from the truth, who's he talking to? Brothers, physical brothers, spiritual brothers. My, if, if any among you wanders from the truth, well, that, that doesn't sound good. And someone brings them back. Well, if they, were, if they wandered, they left, and they have to be brought back. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wanderings will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Wow, 
A new Christian is one of those people where we can rejoice. Can we not? We can jump up and down. I've seen you guys here fall into tears. That's also rejoice. You know what it means to turn your life over to Christ. You know what it means when, when you're supposed to be obedient to what he wants us to do. You know what it means when you're covered in your sins. Matthew uses the term disciple. He likes that word, disciple of Christ. A disciple is a student, is he not? A believer is also a student, is he not? Learns enough. He may or may not choose to fully commit himself to Christ. Not everyone who learns about Jesus fully commits himself to Christ or commits himself in any way. So that believer, according to Matthew chapter 28, or that disciple who then does that, he follows along the path that God has given him to be a Christian. If he does decide to commit himself to Christ, he is, he is immersed for the forgiveness of sins. This brings salvation to the alien sinner. And Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples. Make what? Learners, believers of all nations, baptizing them. Who? Those who believe and who choose to fully commit themselves to Christ. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. Who? Those immersed in Christ. To observe all that I commanded you. This is a special moment. It's something that God does to us. We don't earn it. We can't earn salvation. It's impossible. We don't work for in the sense of earning our salvation. Our past sins are, are forgiven. And our future sins are forgiven. Forgiveness because at that moment of immersion, Christ says that we receive his blessings, among other blessings. You may know the passage about the angels rejoicing. Not only do the angels rejoice when a sinner repents, we do too. We should be a family that says, I already know you're going to mess up. <laughs> So I shouldn't be surprised, and Dallas, I'll bring up somebody going, what happened? <laughs> I probably shouldn't divulge all that. Um, what did we do wrong? No, shouldn't be a surprise when we make mistakes. Not at all. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Luke chapter 15, verse 10. James speaks of a restored Christian also as a moment of rejoicing. So this might sound a little weird with what I said earlier. That when we're in Christ, our past sins are forgiven. Our future sins are forgiven. We still need to live a proper life. We still need to repent when we do wrong in the future. But we don't need to be immersed again, do we? Christ's blood is covering us, is he? 
But James is bringing up an idea of a wanderer. What is a wanderer? In the case of Christianity, a wanderer is one who has chosen to wander away specifically from the truth. Ah, this is a challenge. This is a challenge. Evidently, an immersed disciple of Christ can turn his back on God and Christ in some way. It is a perilous situation. James says it's perilous. His past, present, and future sins are now placed back on him. He's turned his back. He hasn't just erred, as we all do, but he's turned his back on God. That's another story. In essence, he is as if he were an alien sinner. Romans brings this up pretty clearly. His soul is in jeopardy. He has wandered from the truth. He needs help. He needs help. Who better to help than somebody of a spiritual, like an elder, in certain situations who someone is sick and they need help? He needs help in being brought back to a proper relationship with God through Christ. In this case, he is deathly sick in a spiritual way. Deathly sick, especially. But there is hope, is there not? I think it would help if we just recognize that people are going to struggle in this life. I think if we get by that and, and that shock factor that we so desperately don't want to deal with, how much easier are we to go, I'm here to help you. I'm not ashamed. I'll love you. I'll bring you back in to help you come back into fellowship through Christ. He needs to repent. He may desperately need other Christians to bring him back. But in the end, it is his decision to repent, is it not? When you're in the ambulance and you need a heart monitor or you need a uh, the fibrillation or whatever that's called, you usually lay in there and you're, they're not asking your permission. Yet in spiritual sickness... You need to receive permission to help somebody. You can't just stick them up to a machine and go, well, here I go, I'm going to take care of you. No. A big dose of repenting needs to come involved in this. A change of life. When he repents, what do we do? We rejoice. We rejoice. Why? Because it's a salvation issue. It's a salvation issue. The person has wandered from the truth. We can go to Hebrews, we can go to Romans, and we can see how when you leave Christ, 
you're in dire straits. You need to repent and come back. And James is just writing it in a different way for us to understand the same concept. I would say everybody in here has known that understanding, maybe not personally, but with others in their family, and have seen the great results of somebody coming back. That strength sometimes that comes in there, that determination to say, I'm sticking to my commitment to Jesus Christ, and I'm not going to wander away. That is a rejoicing moment. So whether an alien sinner or a repentant wanderer has repented and chosen to follow Christ in truth, it makes sense to rejoice. It makes sense to rejoice. The lesson is, James, it makes sense. Prayer. Prayer is a blessing that should be a common and daily part of our life. Confess is an opportunity to declare our need for Christ and salvation through Him. Rejoice is a great time for us to recognize when someone turns to God through Christ or turns back to God and Christ from a wandering from the truth, It's a good time to rejoice. It's a good time to rejoice. James has been a good study of God's word, I think. It should be our last lesson going with James at this juncture and with the newsletters that have been written out there. Just remember, God's word makes sense. It's important to follow God's teachings. If there's anybody here this morning who has any needs, concerns, confessions that you'd like to do in public or other opportunities to rejoice and share, please come forward now as together we stand and sing. When July 4th comes around, it only makes sense to celebrate this event. It makes sense to me to think of fireworks. Some people like parades and others like a lot of good food. I still like a lot of good food and the parades are okay. But when it comes down to 4th of July, I think of fireworks. It just makes sense to watch fireworks and to thank God for our freedom that we have in this fine country. And that's the lesson today. James, it makes sense. Prayer, confess, and rejoice. The first point is prayer. Prayer is really a blessing, is it not? The opportunity to pray to God, to think about Him, to, to share some thoughts. Like those times that we need for deliverance in suffering or in sickness as many of us go through throughout our lives. Time for prayer for our enemies who persecute us. We should pray for them too. To help when we face temptations. That's a, a great moment for prayer. 
And those important choices, like Jesus did when he chose the disciples. He used that moment for time of reflection and prayer. Prayer is an important and helpful way that God gave us to communicate with him. And we should do it sincerely, often, and with the right motives. We should pray with the right motives. Because what situation in our life doesn't need God's help? Suffering, for example, is a great moment to pray. James talks about this in James chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Now, immediately, you probably go to the idea that suffering in that text means sickness. Well, I definitely think that sickness is a suffering. But this suffering here is about affliction, things that are happening to us. Crystal shared an experience with me a while back ago. There she is. I was looking over there. Uh, in her time in Mexico, I believe it was in Mexico, she was studying with a particular lady, and Crystal offered a prayer. It was just the two of them, and the lady looked at her with awe and like, can you pray to God? Well, yeah, everybody can pray to God. I hope I got the story right, Crystal. And so Crystal showed her that, hey, praying to God is something that makes sense. It's something that God offers the individual. The passage in James is just one example in the New Testament about the importance of prayer. It deals with evil, it deals with hardships, it deals with troubles, and all other kinds of afflictions. Those things that, that cause us suffering, that, that we need some extra help, we need someone to talk to, we need, we need assistance, or we need to pray for strength or faith to deal with the situation that's in front of us. But look at the passage, what the passage says. It says, you, that is the one who is suffering, pray. So right away, Crystal's not making up a, a, a teaching saying that she has the ability to pray and teaching somebody else that they can pray too. It's something that James says real clearly that you who are suffering should pray. I think that's a good thing. It makes sense to pray since we have a relationship with God through Christ. God gave us that blessing. Sick. Anybody ever been sick or have, have worked with a, a family member who's been sick? Sure, Ethan, you've been sick. We've all been sick. We've all had sick and illnesses. Well, what does James say about that? Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. James chapter 5, verse 14. So my question is, or my thought is, immediately, why call the elders if you're sick? Is there a difference in, I can pray for myself when I'm suffering, but I can't pray for myself when I'm sick? No, not really. I think there's something else going on here that a person who is sick in a particular scenario just says, hey, I need people of a spiritual nature around me who need to help me. I'm, I'm weak, I'm struggling, maybe with my faith, or maybe with the sin, or maybe in not any of those areas. I just have this terrible sickness that I just need some strength. But if the elders are needed, call them. They might not be physical doctors, although there is an opportunity for them to bring ointment. As you might already know, in the first century, 
ointment was used in various ways. One of those ways was as a healing ointment. Maybe there was a type of sickness that somebody needed healing. I'm guessing that that wasn't a cheap item. Maybe the elders were uh, in charge of that. And uh, they went and took care of the person in the name of the Lord. See, I think that's the kicker there, isn't it? In the name of the Lord. So the elders go, they pray for the person who is sick. They anoint with oil if that needs to be the case. So they were basically healthcare workers also at that time. And our elders do a good job going visiting those who are in the hospital and those who are sick as well and encouraging. And they offer prayers and people pray for each other. You need encouragement sometimes when you're sick. You need prayer and maybe you need assistance in your faith. Anybody ever here dealt with something and you go, why me, God? Why me? Why me, God? You know, that, that's, in my opinion, that's a cry for help. <laughs> well, why not you? You need God just like everybody else. Hey, here's an opportunity for you to go, hey, let me call the elders. Let me get some people over here. I need some prayers because I'm struggling. Having people praying together, even with our spiritual leaders, is an important act of taking care of certain needs and concerns. A time of dire circumstances might need a spiritual leader to pray with you or for you. I still remember being in the hospital as a little kid who came and visited me. Well, lots of people did. But I remember a deacon, an elder. I remember other families. They had no idea what was wrong with me. I had no idea what was wrong with me. And they still haven't figured out what was wrong with me. Now we go to other means by which to figure out what's wrong with me. Bill got that one. So, but they came, didn't they? They prayed with me and for me, didn't they? They were somebody I looked up to and was like, wow, they would come here just for me? being a, what, probably 12 or 13 year old, they would just come here for me. And of course, my parents were there too. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Overall, it makes sense to have a loving group of Christians share in prayer during your time of sickness. It makes sense rather than dealing with a sickness all alone, as some people are inclined to do. I can handle it on my own. But there's something that God is telling us that spiritual leaders are there and should be there to help us not be alone and encourage us maybe when we're weak in our faith. James also brings out the idea in this context of confess. Confession comes with being human. To acknowledge, to own up to something, to plead guilty, or come clean. Confess is one of those things that I think is just part of the human existence because we all do something that we need to confess. We've done something wrong or not fully right, which is really wrong. As an example, we look at the child with chocolate on his face. To who ate the cake? Justin's probably never said that phrase. Who ate that cake? I don't know, <laughs> as the chocolate covers his face. I don't know, but you know better. What do you want to happen? You want the child to own up, to confess, to admit his wrong and be honest. 
I think confession has a lot to do with honesty. It's not, as some people might use it, an opportunity to put the thumb down on somebody and say, oh, now I have control over you because now you confess to your faults and I know better. Well, great, I've confessed to my faults, but you don't own me. It's an acknowledgement. It's a, it's a way to help me grow. If I am willing to do it in such a way that pleases God and my dad who might say, Son, there's chocolate on your face. Let's not do and start a practice of lying to me. This is not going to end well for you. Confession is a form of honesty, is it not? There's a phrase used, it's called uh, the alien sinner. It's, it's, it's an older term. You might be very familiar with it. It basically means not somebody from outer space who's a sinner. It basically means someone who's never come to Christ, ever. Therefore, they're alien to that salvation that comes through Christ. The alien sinner, we are asked to confess, are we not? Before we become a Christian? Confession is one of those examples that we see in Scripture of what people who are believers who are not in Christ yet uh, admit to. Again, confession is an admission of, of wrong, of, of something. What have we done wrong before coming to Christ? Well, what haven't we done wrong before coming to Christ? And that alien sinner who never had the blessings of, of the blood of Christ cover his sins, they have not chosen to be in a relationship with Jesus. Well, that's something we need to confess and admit to. Jesus is not my Lord. He is not my Savior. He is not saving me. I am a lost. I need to confess that. Is that a right or is that a wrong? Well, that's a definite wrong. I am lost. I am out in the world living in a way I might be a good person. There's a lot of good person, people. But have I chosen to have Jesus cover me in my sins? Have I chosen him to be the one who I follow? Well, no. I have to confess that I've done it on my own and I've blown it. They have not been uh, saved, immersed in the water for forgiveness of sins. In fact, they truly have never confessed. Before you became a Christian, you confessed to a couple of things, haven't you? You confessed that Jesus is Christ. God's son. Jesus is Messiah. God's son who is God. We talked about the covenant this morning, the covenant of blood. Where did that, who did that come through? Jesus Christ. Part of God's plan. The Holy Spirit's involved. We confess that every week that he sacrificed his life for our sins. We confess every week that he is the son of God. We do that as Christians, but the alien sinner hasn't done it yet. He might mentally understand it, but he hasn't chosen to follow in a way that pleases God. So that confession is important. But we as Christians have confessed our allegiance to Christ as the leader and savior of the faith. You have confessed that you have done wrong 
that you have sinned, that you need salvation. When you choose to follow Christ and you commit your life to Him, the alien sinner has never done that until they're ready to change. The Christian confession, as we all know, there are people who call Christian hypocrites. Have you ever been called a hypocrite? Or have you ever said, those people down that way are hypocrites? Well, you may be struggling with your faith. And to the world who has an idea that uh, what Christianity is, you do look like a hypocrite. Why? Because you're struggling. You're having a hard time. Well, that's the time to admit to something that I need to grow that I need to be better, live life better as a Christian. I need to admit that I've screwed up and that people out in the world are seeing that. Now, they might have the complete wrong perception, to be sure. And we understand that God gives grace to those who are His. And we struggle with the things that we deal with in this life. And just because we become Christians doesn't mean we're suddenly perfect in every way and we don't have struggles so why would they call us hypocrites because they expect us to be they don't know they don't understand god does do you think he still wants you to confess in your life that hey you need him that you've blown it a few times that you can use some extra help yeah confession's not meant to be a tool to make people feel bad. It's meant to be a tool to help people look to the place that, to God who will make things better. It's so important when we deal with the world to let them know that we're not perfect. We do struggle. And that just makes things more real, I think. When we struggle, we should seek, though, help confessing our sins with each other. Now, I'm not going to go out into the world and say, hey, I got this struggle. I might in certain circumstances if I'm just sharing. But where's your should be your safe place to confess and admit when you have struggles, when you have wrongs, when you have a need to go, hmm, I'm not doing very well in this particular case. Well, Christians, Christians who are hopefully mature and recognize, well, I got enough struggles too that uh, I'm not going to embarrass you and, and say that I'm better than you. No, of course not. You're gonna put their arms around somebody who struggles as they confess to one another and go, hey, let's pray together. Let's talk about it. Let's bring the elders in, in a particular case that where that sickness might be a spiritual issue. And I'm not saying all sicknesses are a spiritual issue, but there may be some. Call an elder, get some spiritual help. Therefore, according to James chapter five, verse 16, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. There is something about confession that helps in our healings. Now, this passage uh, helps us recognize that it's okay to confess. 
It's okay to let admit you're not fooling anybody. We all know we each of us have issues and problems. It's not going to be a big surprise, I don't think. Rely on those people who've been there, who are your elders and, and spiritual leaders who can help you in this way. But sometimes sickness can come from a lifestyle opposed to God. We are engaging in purposeful wrongdoing and it manifests itself in a sickness. I can't speak to everyone's issues, but if we are spiritually sick and we confess to God and certain other Christians who can support us, who can encourage us, who can pray with us, well, James says that's beneficial. It makes sense. It makes sense. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. That's the key. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. James chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. A. And that leads us to the third point. Rejoice. Rejoice is fun. Rejoice is neat. Rejoice is a part of James. Rejoice is part of the Christian life. This weekend, it was our pleasure to be a part of the lads of the leaders. And so many people of you have prayed and were involved and, and uh, are tired from this experience. It was a culmination of fellowship. Bible study and event preparation, parental involvement and encouragement to improve our skills, to be more useful servants of God and his kingdom. One of the blessings that comes from such an event is the joy a person gets. That's why at the end, they try to celebrate and help the kids get all loud and rowdy and raise their hands and encourage each other. You, you did this, you did that, you did this. You can do better, you can, but you did it. You got in there. Praise, rejoicing. I particularly like the idea of having people, especially from Flagler, meet other people outside of our community and to refresh some of those relationships that you've had with people in the past. It's a good thing. Living in rural areas where people of like mind and are fewer, it is a positive dose of energy and awareness. When we see others striving to grow in Christ and enjoy the fellowship of competition in the events, it is cause for rejoicing. It is a cause for rejoicing. Scripture lets us know that there are two great reasons for a Christian to rejoice. Can you think of those two right off the top of your head? I'm not going to trick you, but they all have to do with salvation. One, well, let me go back. This passage helps us understand why at the end of James. The last two sentences or phrase or one sentence as I look at it in James takes up two verses. The last two. I think that's probably as important as the first verse that you see. My brothers, if any of you wanders from the truth. Who's he talking to? Brothers. Physical brothers. Spiritual brothers. My, if, if any among you wanders from the truth, well, that, that doesn't sound good. And someone brings them back. Well, if they, were, they wandered, they left, and they have to be brought back. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wanderings will save his soul from death 
and cover a multitude of sins. Wow. A new Christian is one of those people where we can rejoice. Can we not? We can jump up and down. I've seen you guys here fall into tears. That's also rejoice. You know what it means to turn your life over to Christ. You know what it means when, when you're supposed to be obedient to what he wants us to do. You know what it means when you're covered in your sins. Matthew uses the term disciple. He likes that word, disciple of Christ. A disciple is a student, is he not? A believer is also a student, is he not? Learns enough. He may or may not choose to fully commit himself to Christ. Not everyone who learns about Jesus fully commits himself to Christ or commits himself in any way. So that believer, according to Matthew chapter 28, or that disciple who then does that, he follows along the path that God has given him to be a Christian. If he does decide to commit himself to Christ, he is, he is immersed for the forgiveness of sins. This brings salvation to the alien sinner. And Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples. Make what? Learners, believers of all nations, baptizing them. Who? Those who believe and who choose to fully commit themselves to Christ. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. Who? Those immersed in Christ. To observe all that I commanded you. This is a special moment. It's something that God does to us. We don't earn it. We can't earn salvation. It's impossible. We don't work for in the sense of earning our salvation. Our past sins are, are forgiven. And our future sins are forgiven. Forgiveness because at that moment of immersion, Christ says that we receive his blessings, among other blessings. You may know the passage about the angels rejoicing. Not only do the angels rejoice when a sinner repents, we do too. We should be a family that says, I already know you're going to mess up. <laughs> So I shouldn't be surprised, and Dallas, I'll bring up somebody going, what happened? <laughs> I probably shouldn't divulge all that. Um, what did we do wrong? No, shouldn't be a surprise when we make mistakes. Not at all. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Luke chapter 15, verse 10. James speaks of a restored Christian also as a moment of rejoicing. So this might sound a little weird with what I said earlier. That when we're in Christ, our past sins are forgiven. Our future sins are forgiven. We still need to live a proper life. We still need to repent when we do wrong in the future. But we don't need to be immersed again, do we? 
Christ's blood is covering us, is he? But James is bringing up an idea of a wanderer. What is a wanderer? In the case of Christianity, a wanderer is one who has chosen to wander away, specifically from the truth. Ah, this is a challenge. This is a challenge. Evidently, an immersed disciple of Christ can turn his back on God and Christ in some way. It is a perilous situation. James says it's perilous. His past, present, and future sins are now placed back on him. He's turned his back. He hasn't just erred, as we all do, but he's turned his back on God. That's another story. In essence, he is as if he were an alien sinner. Romans brings this up pretty clearly. His soul is in jeopardy. He has wandered from the truth. He needs help. He needs help. Who better to help than somebody of a spiritual, like an elder, in certain situations who someone is sick and they need help? He needs help in being brought back to a proper relationship with God through Christ. In this case, he is deathly sick in a spiritual way. Deathly sick, especially. But there is hope, is there not? I think it would help if we just recognize that people are going to struggle in this life. I think if we get by that and, and that shock factor that we so desperately don't want to deal with, how much easier are we to go, I'm here to help you. I'm not ashamed. I'll love you. I'll bring you back in to help you come back into fellowship through Christ. He needs to repent. He may desperately need other Christians to bring him back. But in the end, it is his decision to repent, is it not? When you're in the ambulance and you need a heart monitor or you need a uh, fibrillation or whatever that's called, you're usually laying there and they're not asking your permission. Yet in spiritual sickness... You need to receive permission to help somebody. You can't just stick them up to a machine and go, well, here I go, I'm going to take care of you. No. A big dose of repenting needs to come involved in this. A change of life. When he repents, what do we do? We rejoice. We rejoice. Why? Because it's a salvation issue. It's a salvation issue. The person has wandered from the truth. We can go to Hebrews, we can go to Romans, and we can see how 
When you leave Christ, you're in dire straits. You need to repent and come back. And James is just writing it in a different way for us to understand the same concept. I would say everybody in here has known that understanding, maybe not personally, but with others in their family, and have seen the great results of somebody coming back. That strength sometimes that comes in there, that determination to say, I'm sticking to my commitment to Jesus Christ, and I'm not going to wander away. That is a rejoicing moment. So whether an alien sinner or a repentant wanderer has repented and chosen to follow Christ in truth, it makes sense to rejoice. It makes sense to rejoice. The lesson is, James, it makes sense. Prayer. Prayer is a blessing that should be a common and daily part of our life. Confess is an opportunity to declare our need for Christ and salvation through Him. Rejoice is a great time for us to recognize when someone turns to God through Christ or turns back to God and Christ from a wandering from the truth, It's a good time to rejoice. It's a good time to rejoice. James has been a good study of God's word, I think. It should be our last lesson going with James at this juncture and with the newsletters that have been written out there. Just remember, God's word makes sense. It's important to follow God's teachings. If there's anybody here this morning who has any needs, concerns, confessions that you'd like to do in public or other opportunities to rejoice and share, please come forward now as together we stand and sing. When July 4th comes around, it only makes sense to celebrate this event. It makes sense to me to think of fireworks. Some people like parades and others like a lot of good food. I still like a lot of good food and the parades are okay. But when it comes down to 4th of July, I think of fireworks. It just makes sense to watch fireworks and to thank God for our freedom that we have in this fine country. And that's the lesson today. James, it makes sense. Prayer, confess, and rejoice. The first point is prayer. Prayer is really a blessing, is it not? The opportunity to pray to God, to think about Him, to, to share some thoughts. Like those times that we need for deliverance in suffering or in sickness as many of us go through throughout our lives. Time for prayer for our enemies who persecute us. We should pray for them too. To help when we face temptations. 
That's a, a great moment for prayer and those important choices like Jesus did when he chose the disciples. He used that moment for time of reflection and prayer. Prayer is an important and helpful way that God gave us to communicate with him. And we should do it sincerely, often, and with the right motives. We should pray with the right motives. Because what situation in our life doesn't need God's help? Suffering, for example, is a great moment to pray. James talks about this in James chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Now, immediately, you probably go to the idea that suffering in that text means sickness. Well, I definitely think that sickness is a suffering. But this suffering here is about affliction, things that are happening to us. Crystal shared an experience with me a while back ago. There she is. I was looking over there. Uh, in her time in Mexico, I believe it was in Mexico, she was studying with a particular lady, and Crystal offered a prayer. It was just the two of them, and the lady looked at her with awe and like, can you pray to God? Well, yeah, everybody can pray to God. I hope I got the story right, Crystal. And so Crystal showed her that, hey, praying to God is something that makes sense. It's something that God offers the individual. The passage in James is just one example in the New Testament about the importance of prayer. It deals with evil, it deals with hardships, it deals with troubles, and all other kinds of afflictions. Those things that, that cause us suffering, that, that we need some extra help, we need someone to talk to, we need, we need assistance, or we need to pray for strength or faith to deal with the situation that's in front of us. But look at the passage, what the passage says. It says, you, that is the one who is suffering, pray. So right away, Crystal's not making up a, a, a teaching saying that she has the ability to pray and teaching somebody else that they can pray too. It's something that James says real clearly that you who are suffering should pray. I think that's a good thing. It makes sense to pray since we have a relationship with God through Christ. God gave us that blessing. Sick. Anybody ever been sick or have, have worked with a, a family member who's been sick? Sure, Ethan, you've been sick. We've all been sick. We've all had sick and illnesses. Well, what does James say about that? Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. James chapter 5, verse 14. So my question is, or my thought is, immediately, why call the elders if you're sick? Is there a difference in, I can pray for myself when I'm suffering, but I can't pray for myself when I'm sick? No, not really. I think there's something else going on here that a person who is sick in a particular scenario just says, hey, I need people of a spiritual nature around me who need to help me. I'm, I'm weak, I'm struggling, maybe with my faith, or maybe with the sin, or maybe in not any of those areas. I just have this terrible sickness that I just need some strength. But if the elders are needed, call them. They might not be physical doctors, although there is an opportunity for them to bring ointment as you 
might already know in the first century, ointment was used in various ways. One of those ways was as a healing ointment. Maybe there was a type of sickness that somebody needed healing. I'm guessing that that wasn't a cheap item. Maybe the elders were uh, in charge of that. And uh, they went and took care of the person in the name of the Lord. See, I think that's the kicker there, isn't it? In the name of the Lord. So the elders go, they pray for the person who is sick. They anoint with oil if that needs to be the case. So they were basically healthcare workers also at that time. And our elders do a good job going visiting those who are in the hospital and those who are sick as well and encouraging. And they offer prayers and people pray for each other. You need encouragement sometimes when you're sick. You need prayer and maybe you need assistance in your faith. Anybody ever here dealt with something and you go, why me, God? Why me? Why me, God? You know, that, that's, in my opinion, that's a cry for help. <laughs> well, why not you? You need God just like everybody else. Hey, here's an opportunity for you to go, hey, let me call the elders. Let me get some people over here. I need some prayers because I'm struggling. Having people praying together, even with our spiritual leaders, is an important act of taking care of certain needs and concerns. A time of dire circumstances might need a spiritual leader to pray with you or for you. I still remember being in the hospital as a little kid who came and visited me. Well, lots of people did. But I remember deacon, an elder. I remember other families. They had no idea what was wrong with me. I had no idea what was wrong with me. And they still haven't figured out what was wrong with me. Now we go to other means by which to figure out what's wrong with me. Bill got that one. So, but they came, didn't they? They prayed with me and for me didn't they? They were somebody I looked up to and was like, wow, they would come here just for me? Being a, what, probably 12 or 13 year old, they would just come here for me? And of course, my parents were there too. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Overall, it makes sense to have a loving group of Christians share in prayer during your time of sickness. It makes sense rather than dealing with a sickness all alone, as some people are inclined to do. I can handle it on my own. But there's something that God is telling us that spiritual leaders are there and should be there to help us not be alone and encourage us maybe when we're weak in our faith. James also brings out the idea in this context of confess. Confession comes with being human. To acknowledge, to own up to something, to plead guilty or come clean. Confess is one of those things that I think is just part of the human existence because we all do something that we need to confess. We've done something wrong or not fully right, which is really wrong. As an example, we look at the child with chocolate on his face. To who ate the cake? Justin's probably never said that phrase. Who ate that cake? I don't know, <laughs> as the chocolate covers his face. I don't know, but you know better. What do you want to happen? You want the child to own up, to confess, to admit his wrong and be 
honest. I think confession has a lot to do with honesty. It's not, as some people might use it, an opportunity to put the thumb down on somebody and say, oh, now I have control over you because now you confess to your faults and I know better. Well, great, I've confessed to my faults, but you don't own me. It's an acknowledgement. It's a, it's a way to help me grow. If I am willing to do it in such a way that pleases God and my dad who might say, Son, there's chocolate on your face. Let's not do and start a practice of lying to me. This is not going to end well for you. Confession is a form of honesty, is it not? There's a phrase used, it's called uh, the alien sinner. It's, it's, a, it's an older term. You might be very familiar with it. It basically means not somebody from outer space who's a sinner. It basically means someone who's never come to Christ, ever. Therefore, they're alien to that salvation that comes through Christ. The alien sinner, we are asked to confess, are we not, before we become a Christian? Confession is one of those examples that we see in Scripture of what people who are believers who are not in Christ yet uh, admit to. Again, confession is an admission of, of wrong, of, of something. What have we done wrong before coming to Christ? Well, what haven't we done wrong before coming to Christ? And that alien sinner who never had the blessings of, of the blood of Christ cover his sins, they have not chosen to be in a relationship with Jesus. Well, that's something we need to confess and admit to. Jesus is not my Lord. He is not my Savior. He is not saving me. I am a lost. I need to confess that. Is that a right or is that a wrong? Well, that's a definite wrong. I am lost. I am out in the world living in a way I might be a good person. There's a lot of good person, people. But have I chosen to have Jesus cover me in my sins? Have I chosen him to be the one who I follow? Well, no, I have to confess that I've done it on my own and I've blown it. They have not been uh, saved, immersed in the water for forgiveness of sins. In fact, they truly have never confessed. Before you became a Christian, you confessed to a couple of things, haven't you? You confess that Jesus is Christ. God's Son. Jesus is Messiah. God's Son who is God. We talked about the covenant this morning, the covenant of blood. Where did that, who did that come through? Jesus Christ. Part of God's plan. The Holy Spirit's involved. We confess that every week that He sacrificed His life for our sins. We confess every week that he is the son of God. We do that as Christians. But the alien sinner hasn't done it yet. He might mentally understand it, but he hasn't chosen to follow in a way that pleases God. So that confession is important. But we as Christians have confessed our allegiance to Christ as the leader and savior of the faith. You have confessed 
that you have done wrong, that you have sinned, that you need salvation. When you choose to follow Christ and you commit your life to Him, the alien sinner has never done that until they're ready to change. The Christian confession, as we all know, there are people who call Christian hypocrites. Have you ever been called a hypocrite? Or have you ever said, those people down that way are hypocrites? Well, you may be struggling with your faith. And to the world who has an idea that uh, what Christianity is, you do look like a hypocrite. Why? Because you're struggling. You're having a hard time. Well, that's the time to admit to something that I need to grow, that I need to be better, live life better as a Christian. I need to admit that I've screwed up and that people out in the world are seeing that. Now, they might have the complete wrong perception, to be sure. And we understand that God gives grace to those who are His. And we struggle with the things that we deal with in this life. And just because we become Christians doesn't mean we're suddenly perfect in every way and we don't have struggles. So why would they call us hypocrites? Because they expect us to be, they don't know. They don't understand. God does. Do you think he still wants you to confess in your life that, hey, you need him? That you've blown it a few times? That you can use some extra help? Yeah, confession's not meant to be a tool to make people feel bad. It's meant to be a tool to help people look to the place that, to God who will make things better. It's so important when we deal with the world to let them know that we're not perfect. We do struggle. And that just makes things more real, I think. When we struggle, we should seek, though, help confessing our sins with each other. Now, I'm not going to go out into the world and say, hey, I got this struggle. I might in certain circumstances if I'm just sharing. But where's your should be your safe place to confess and admit when you have struggles, when you have wrongs, when you have a need to go, hmm, I'm not doing very well in this particular case. Well, Christians. Christians who are hopefully mature and recognize, well, I got enough struggles too that uh, I'm not going to embarrass you and, and say that I'm better than you. No, of course not. You're going to put their arms around somebody who struggles as they confess to one another and go, hey, let's pray together. Let's talk about it. Let's bring the elders in, in a particular case that where that sickness might be a spiritual issue. And I'm not saying all sicknesses are a spiritual issue, but there may be some. Call an elder, get some spiritual help. Therefore, according to James chapter five, verse 16, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. There's something about confession that helps in our healings. Now, this passage uh, helps us recognize that it's okay to confess. 
it's okay to let admit you're not fooling anybody. We all know we each of us have issues and problems. It's not going to be a big surprise, I don't think. Rely on those people who've been there, who are your elders and, and spiritual leaders who can help you in this way. But sometimes sickness can come from a lifestyle opposed to God. We are engaging in purposeful wrongdoing and it manifests itself in a sickness. I can't speak to everyone's issues, but if we are spiritually sick and we confess to God and certain other Christians who can support us, who can encourage us, who can pray with us, well, James says that's beneficial. It makes sense. It makes sense. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. That's the key. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. James chapter 5, verse 14 through 16a. And that leads us to the third point. Rejoice. Rejoice is fun. Rejoice is neat. Rejoice is a part of James. Rejoice is part of the Christian life. This weekend, it was our pleasure to be a part of the Lads of the Leaders. And so many people of you have prayed and were involved and, and uh, are tired from this experience. It was a culmination of fellowship. Bible study and event preparation, parental involvement and encouragement to improve our skills, to be more useful servants of God and His kingdom. One of the blessings that comes from such an event is the joy a person gets. That's why at the end, they try to celebrate and help the kids get all loud and rowdy and raise their hands and encourage each other. You, you did this, you did that, you did this. You can do better, you can, but you did it. You got in there. Praise, rejoicing. I particularly like the idea of having people, especially from Flagler, meet other people outside of our community and to refresh some of those relationships that you've had with people in the past. It's a good thing. Living in rural areas where people of like mind and are fewer, it is a positive dose of energy and awareness. When we see others striving to grow in Christ and enjoy the fellowship of competition in the events, it is cause for rejoicing. It is a cause for rejoicing. Scripture lets us know that there are two great reasons for a Christian to rejoice. Can you think of those two right off the top of your head? I'm not going to trick you. But they all have to do with salvation. One, well, let me go back. This passage helps us understand why at the end of James. The last two sentences or phrase or one sentence as I look at it in James takes up two verses. The last two. I think that's probably as important as the first verse that you see. My brothers, if any of you wanders from the truth, who's he talking to? Brothers, physical brothers, spiritual brothers. My, if, if any among you wanders from the truth, well, that, that doesn't sound good. And someone brings them back. Well, if they, were, if they wandered, they left, and they have to be brought back. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wanderings will save his soul from death 
and cover a multitude of sins. Wow. A new Christian is one of those people where we can rejoice. Can we not? We can jump up and down. I've seen you guys here fall into tears. That's also rejoice. You know what it means to turn your life over to Christ. You know what it means when, when you're supposed to be obedient to what he wants us to do. You know what it means when you're covered in your sins. Matthew uses the term disciple. He likes that word, disciple of Christ. A disciple is a student, is he not? A believer is also a student, is he not? Learns enough. He may or may not choose to fully commit himself to Christ. Not everyone who learns about Jesus fully commits himself to Christ or commits himself in any way. So that believer, according to Matthew chapter 28, or that disciple who then does that, he follows along the path that God has given him to be a Christian. If he does decide to commit himself to Christ, he is, he is immersed for the forgiveness of sins. This brings salvation to the alien sinner. And Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples. Make what? Learners, believers of all nations, baptizing them. Who? Those who believe and who choose to fully commit themselves to Christ. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. Who? Those immersed in Christ. To observe all that I commanded you. This is a special moment. It's something that God does to us. We don't earn it. We can't earn salvation. It's impossible. We don't work for in the sense of earning our salvation. Our past sins are, are forgiven. And our future sins are forgiven. Forgiveness because at that moment of immersion, Christ says that we receive his blessings, among other blessings. You may know the passage about the angels rejoicing. Not only do the angels rejoice when a sinner repents, we do too. We should be a family that says, I already know you're going to mess up. <laughs> So I shouldn't be surprised, and Dallas, I'll bring up somebody going, what happened? <laughs> I probably shouldn't divulge all that. Um, what did we do wrong? No, shouldn't be a surprise when we make mistakes. Not at all. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Luke chapter 15, verse 10. James speaks of a restored Christian also as a moment of rejoicing. So this might sound a little weird with what I said earlier. That when we're in Christ, our past sins are forgiven. Our future sins are forgiven. We still need to live a proper life. We still need to repent when we do wrong in the future. But we don't need to be immersed again, do we? 
Christ's blood is covering us, is he? But James is bringing up an idea of a wanderer. What is a wanderer? In the case of Christianity, a wanderer is one who has chosen to wander away, specifically from the truth. Ah, this is a challenge. This is a challenge. Evidently, an immersed disciple of Christ can turn his back on God and Christ in some way. It is a perilous situation. James says it's perilous. His past, present, and future sins are now placed back on him. He's turned his back. He hasn't just erred, as we all do, but he's turned his back on God. That's another story. In essence, he is as if he were an alien sinner. Romans brings this up pretty clearly. His soul is in jeopardy. He has wandered from the truth. He needs help. He needs help. Who better to help than somebody of a spiritual, like an elder, in certain situations who someone is sick and they need help? He needs help in being brought back to a proper relationship with God through Christ. In this case, he is deathly sick in a spiritual way. Deathly sick, especially. But there is hope, is there not? I think it would help if we just recognize that people are going to struggle in this life. I think if we get by that and, and that shock factor that we so desperately don't want to deal with, how much easier are we to go, I'm here to help you. I'm not ashamed. I'll love you. I'll bring you back in to help you come back into fellowship through Christ. He needs to repent. He may desperately need other Christians to bring him back. But in the end, it is his decision to repent, is it not? When you're in the ambulance and you need a heart monitor or you need a uh, fibrillation or whatever that's called, you usually lay in there and you're, they're not asking your permission. Yet in spiritual sickness... You need to receive permission to help somebody. You can't just stick them up to a machine and go, well, here I go, I'm going to take care of you. No. A big dose of repenting needs to come involved in this. A change of life. When he repents, what do we do? We rejoice. We rejoice. Why? Because it's a salvation issue. It's a salvation issue. The person has wandered from the truth. We can go to Hebrews, we can go to Romans, and we can see how 
When you leave Christ, you're in dire straits. You need to repent and come back. And James is just writing it in a different way for us to understand the same concept. I would say everybody in here has known that understanding, maybe not personally, but with others in their family, and have seen the great results of somebody coming back. That strength sometimes that comes in there, that determination to say, I'm sticking to my commitment to Jesus Christ, and I'm not going to wander away. That is a rejoicing moment. So whether an alien sinner or a repentant wanderer has repented and chosen to follow Christ in truth, it makes sense to rejoice. It makes sense to rejoice. The lesson is, James, it makes sense. Prayer. Prayer is a blessing that should be a common and daily part of our life. Confess is an opportunity to declare our need for Christ and salvation through Him. Rejoice is a great time for us to recognize when someone turns to God through Christ or turns back to God and Christ from a wandering from the truth. It's a good time to rejoice. It's a good time to rejoice. James has been a good study of God's word, I think. It should be our last lesson going with James at this juncture and with the newsletters that have been written out there. Just remember, God's word makes sense. It's important to follow God's teachings. If there's anybody here this morning who has any needs, concerns, confessions that you'd like to do in public or other opportunities to rejoice and share, please come forward now as together we stand and sing. When July 4th comes around, it only makes sense to celebrate this event. It makes sense to me to think of fireworks. Some people like parades and others like a lot of good food. I still like a lot of good food and the parades are okay. But when it comes down to 4th of July, I think of fireworks. It just makes sense to watch fireworks and to thank God for our freedom that we have in this fine country. And that's the lesson today. James, it makes sense. Prayer, confess, and rejoice. The first point is prayer. Prayer is really a blessing, is it not? The opportunity to pray to God, to think about Him, to, to share some thoughts. Like those times that we need for deliverance in suffering or in sickness as many of us go through throughout our lives. Time for prayer for our enemies who persecute us. We should pray for them too. To help when we face temptations. 
that's a, a great moment for prayer and those important choices like Jesus did when he chose the disciples. He used that moment for time of reflection and prayer. Prayer is an important and helpful way that God gave us to communicate with him. And we should do it sincerely, often, and with the right motives. We should pray with the right motives. Because what situation in our life doesn't need God's help? Suffering, for example, is a great moment to pray. James talks about this in James chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Now, immediately, you probably go to the idea that suffering in that text means sickness. Well, I definitely think that sickness is a suffering. But this suffering here is about affliction, things that are happening to us. Crystal shared an experience with me a while back ago. There she is. I was looking over there. Uh, in her time in Mexico, I believe it was in Mexico, she was studying with a particular lady, and Crystal offered a prayer. It was just the two of them, and the lady looked at her with awe and like, can you pray to God? Well, yeah, everybody can pray to God. I hope I got the story right, Crystal. And so Crystal showed her that, hey, praying to God is something that makes sense. It's something that God offers the individual. The passage in James is just one example in the New Testament about the importance of prayer. It deals with evil, it deals with hardships, it deals with troubles, and all other kinds of afflictions. Those things that, that cause us suffering, that, that we need some extra help, we need someone to talk to, we need, we need assistance, or we need to pray for strength or faith to deal with the situation that's in front of us. But look at the passage, what the passage says. It says, you, that is the one who is suffering, pray. So right away, Crystal's not making up a, a, a teaching saying that she has the ability to pray and teaching somebody else that they can pray too. It's something that James says real clearly that you who are suffering should pray. I think that's a good thing. It makes sense to pray since we have a relationship with God through Christ. God gave us that blessing. Sick. Anybody ever been sick or have, have worked with a, a family member who's been sick? Sure, Ethan, you've been sick. We've all been sick. We've all had sick and illnesses. Well, what does James say about that? Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. James chapter 5, verse 14. So my question is, or my thought is, immediately, why call the elders if you're sick? Is there a difference in, I can pray for myself when I'm suffering, but I can't pray for myself when I'm sick? No, not really. I think there's something else going on here that a person who is sick in a particular scenario just says, hey, I need people of a spiritual nature around me who need to help me. I'm, I'm weak, I'm struggling, maybe with my faith, or maybe with the sin, or maybe in not any of those areas, I just have this terrible sickness that I just need some strength. But if the elders are needed, call them. They might not be physical doctors, although there is an opportunity for them to bring ointment as you 
might already know in the first century, ointment was used in various ways. One of those ways was as a healing ointment. Maybe there was a type of sickness that somebody needed healing. I'm guessing that that wasn't a cheap item. Maybe the elders were uh, in charge of that. And uh, they went and took care of the person in the name of the Lord. See, I think that's the kicker there, isn't it? In the name of the Lord. So the elders go, they pray for the person who is sick. They anoint with oil if that needs to be the case. So they were basically healthcare workers also at that time. And our elders do a good job going visiting those who are in the hospital and those who are sick as well and encouraging. And they offer prayers and people pray for each other. You need encouragement sometimes when you're sick. You need prayer and maybe you need assistance in your faith. Anybody ever here dealt with something and you go, why me, God? Why me? Why me, God? You know, that, that's, in my opinion, that's a cry for help. <laughs> well, why not you? You need God just like everybody else. Hey, here's an opportunity for you to go, hey, let me call the elders. Let me get some people over here. I need some prayers because I'm struggling. Having people praying together, even with our spiritual leaders, is an important act of taking care of certain needs and concerns. A time of dire circumstances might need a spiritual leader to pray with you or for you. I still remember being in the hospital as a little kid who came and visited me. Well, lots of people did. But I remember a deacon, an elder. I remember other families. They had no idea what was wrong with me. I had no idea what was wrong with me. And they still haven't figured out what was wrong with me. Now we go to other means by which to figure out what's wrong with me. Bill got that one. So, but they came, didn't they? They prayed with me and for me didn't they? They were somebody I looked up to and was like, wow, they would come here just for me? Being a, what, probably 12 or 13 year old, they would just come here for me? And of course, my parents were there too. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Overall, it makes sense to have a loving group of Christians share in prayer during your time of sickness. It makes sense rather than dealing with a sickness all alone, as some people are inclined to do. I can handle it on my own. But there's something that God is telling us that spiritual leaders are there and should be there to help us not be alone and encourage us maybe when we're weak in our faith. James also brings out the idea in this context of confess. Confession comes with being human. To acknowledge, to own up to something, to plead guilty or come clean. Confess is one of those things that I think is just part of the human existence because we all do something that we need to confess. We've done something wrong or not fully right, which is really wrong. As an example, we look at the child with chocolate on his face. To who ate the cake? Justin's probably never said that phrase. Who ate that cake? I don't know. <laughs> As the chocolate covers his face. I don't know. But you know better. What do you want to happen? You want the child to own up. To confess. To admit his wrong and be 
honest. I think confession has a lot to do with honesty. It's not, as some people might use it, an opportunity to put the thumb down on somebody and say, oh, now I have control over you because now you confess to your faults and I know better. Well, great, I've confessed to my faults, but you don't own me. It's an acknowledgement. It's a, it's a way to help me grow. If I am willing to do it in such a way that pleases God and my dad who might say, Son, there's chocolate on your face. Let's not do and start a practice of lying to me. This is not going to end well for you. Confession is a form of honesty, is it not? There's a phrase used, it's called uh, the alien sinner. It's, it's, uh, it's an older term. You might be very familiar with it. It basically means not somebody from outer space who's a sinner. It basically means someone who's never come to Christ, ever. Therefore, they're alien to that salvation that comes through Christ. The alien sinner, we are asked to confess, are we not? Before we become a Christian? Confession is one of those examples that we see in Scripture of what people who are believers who are not in Christ yet uh, admit to. Again, confession is an admission of, of wrong, of, of something. What have we done wrong before coming to Christ? Well, what haven't we done wrong before coming to Christ? And that alien sinner who never had the blessings of, of the blood of Christ cover his sins, they have not chosen to be in a relationship with Jesus. Well, that's something we need to confess and admit to. Jesus is not my Lord. He is not my Savior. He is not saving me. I am a lost. I need to confess that. Is that a right or is that a wrong? Well, that's a definite wrong. I am lost. I am out in the world living in a way I might be a good person. There's a lot of good person, people. But have I chosen to have Jesus cover me in my sins? Have I chosen him to be the one who I follow? Well, no. I have to confess that I've done it on my own and I've blown it. They have not been uh, saved, immersed in the water for forgiveness of sins. In fact, they truly have never confessed. Before you became a Christian, you confessed to a couple of things, haven't you? You confessed that Jesus is Christ, God's Son. Jesus is Messiah, God's Son who is God. We talked about the covenant this morning, the covenant of blood. Where did that, who did that come through? Jesus Christ, part of God's plan. The Holy Spirit's involved. We confess that every week that he sacrificed his life for our sins. We confess every week that he is the son of God. We do that as Christians. But the alien sinner hasn't done it yet. He might mentally understand it, but he hasn't chosen to follow in a way that pleases God. So that confession is important. But we as Christians have confessed our allegiance to Christ as the leader and savior of the faith. You have confessed 
that you have done wrong, that you have sinned, that you need salvation. When you choose to follow Christ and you commit your life to Him, the alien sinner has never done that until they're ready to change. The Christian confession, as we all know, there are people who call Christian hypocrites. Have you ever been called a hypocrite? Or have you ever said, those people down that way are hypocrites? Well, you may be struggling with your faith. And to the world who has an idea that uh, what Christianity is, you do look like a hypocrite. Why? Because you're struggling. You're having a hard time. Well, that's the time to admit to something that I need to grow, that I need to be better, live life better as a Christian. I need to admit that I've screwed up and that people out in the world are seeing that. Now, they might have the complete wrong perception, to be sure. And we understand that God gives grace to those who are His. And we struggle with the things that we deal with in this life. And just because we become Christians doesn't mean we're suddenly perfect in every way and we don't have struggles. So why would they call us hypocrites? Because they expect us to be, they don't know. They don't understand. God does. Do you think he still wants you to confess in your life that, hey, you need him? That you've blown it a few times? That you can use some extra help? Yeah. Confession's not meant to be a tool to make people feel bad. It's meant to be a tool to help people look to the place that, to God who will make things better. It's so important when we deal with the world to let them know that we're not perfect. We do struggle. And that just makes things more real, I think. When we struggle, we should seek, though, help confessing our sins with each other. Now, I'm not going to go out into the world and say, hey, I got this struggle. I might in certain circumstances if I'm just sharing. But where's your should be your safe place to confess and admit when you have struggles, when you have wrongs, when you have a need to go, hmm, uh, I'm not doing very well in this particular case. Well, Christians, Christians who are hopefully mature and recognize, well, I got enough struggles too that uh, I'm not going to embarrass you and, and say that I'm better than you. No, of course not. You're gonna put their arms around somebody who struggles as they confess to one another and go, hey, let's pray together. Let's talk about it. Let's bring the elders in, in a particular case that where that sickness might be a spiritual issue. And I'm not saying all sicknesses are a spiritual issue, but there may be some. Call an elder, get some spiritual help. Therefore, according to James chapter five, verse 16, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. There is something about confession that helps in our healings. Now this passage uh, helps us recognize that it's okay to confess. 
It's okay to let admit you're not fooling anybody. We all know we each of us have issues and problems. It's not going to be a big surprise. I don't think. Rely on those people who've been there, who are your elders and, and spiritual leaders who can help you in this way. But sometimes sickness can come from a lifestyle opposed to God. We are engaging in purposeful wrongdoing and it manifests itself in a sickness. I can't speak to everyone's issues, but if we are spiritually sick and we confess to God, and certain other Christians who can support us, who can encourage us, who can pray with us. Well, James says that's beneficial. It makes sense. It makes sense. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. That's the key. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. James chapter 5, verse 14 through 16a. And that leads us to the third point. Rejoice. Rejoice is fun. Rejoice is neat. Rejoice is a part of James. Rejoice is part of the Christian life. This weekend, it was our pleasure to be a part of the lads and leaders. And so many people of you have prayed and were involved and, and uh, are tired from this experience. It was a culmination of fellowship. Bible study and event preparation, parental involvement and encouragement to improve our skills, to be more useful servants of God and His kingdom. One of the blessings that comes from such an event is the joy a person gets. That's why at the end, they try to celebrate and help the kids get all loud and rowdy and raise their hands and encourage each other. You, you did this. You did that. You did this. You can do better. You can, but you did it. You got in there. Praise, rejoicing. I particularly like the idea of having people, especially from Flagler, meet other people outside of our community and to refresh some of those relationships that you've had with people in the past. It's a good thing. Living in rural areas where people have like mind and are fewer, it is a positive dose of energy and awareness. When we see others striving to grow in Christ and enjoy the fellowship of competition in the events, it is cause for rejoicing. It is a cause for rejoicing. Scripture lets us know that there are two great reasons for a Christian to rejoice. Can you think of those two right off the top of your head? I'm not going to trick you. But they all have to do with salvation. One, well, let me go back. This passage helps us understand why at the end of James. The last two sentences or phrase or one sentence as I look at it in James takes up two verses. The last two. I think that's probably as important as the first verse that you see. My brothers, if any of you wanders from the truth, who's he talking to? Brothers, physical brothers, spiritual brothers. My, if, if any among you wanders from the truth, well, that, that doesn't sound good. And someone brings them back. Well, if they, were, they wandered, they left, and they have to be brought back. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wanderings will save his soul from death 
and cover a multitude of sins. Wow. A new Christian is one of those people where we can rejoice. Can we not? We can jump up and down. I've seen you guys here fall into tears. That's also rejoice. You know what it means to turn your life over to Christ. You know what it means when, when you're supposed to be obedient to what he wants us to do. You know what it means when you're covered in your sins. Matthew uses the term disciple. He likes that word, disciple of Christ. A disciple is a student, is he not? A believer is also a student, is he not? Learns enough. He may or may not choose to fully commit himself to Christ. Not everyone who learns about Jesus fully commits himself to Christ or commits himself in any way. So that believer, according to Matthew chapter 28, or that disciple who then does that, he follows along the path that God has given him to be a Christian. If he does decide to commit himself to Christ, he is, he is immersed for the forgiveness of sins. This brings salvation to the alien sinner. And Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples. Make what? Learners, believers of all nations, baptizing them. Who? Those who believe and who choose to fully commit themselves to Christ. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. Who? Those immersed in Christ. To observe all that I commanded you. This is a special moment. It's something that God does to us. We don't earn it. We can't earn salvation. It's impossible. We don't work for in the sense of earning our salvation. Our past sins are, are forgiven. And our future sins are forgiven. Forgiveness because at that moment of immersion, Christ says that we receive his blessings, among other blessings. You may know the passage about the angels rejoicing. Not only do the angels rejoice when a sinner repents, we do too. We should be a family that says, I already know you're going to mess up. <laughs> So I shouldn't be surprised, and Dallas, I'll bring up somebody going, what happened? <laughs> I probably shouldn't divulge all that. Um, what did we do wrong? No, shouldn't be a surprise when we make mistakes. Not at all. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Luke chapter 15, verse 10. James speaks of a restored Christian also as a moment of rejoicing. So this might sound a little weird with what I said earlier. That when we're in Christ, our past sins are forgiven. Our future sins are forgiven. We still need to live a proper life. We still need to repent when we do wrong in the future. But we don't need to be immersed again, do we? 
Christ's blood is covering us, is he? But James is bringing up an idea of a wanderer. What is a wanderer in the case of Christianity? A wanderer is one who has chosen to wander away specifically from the truth. Ah, this is a challenge. This is a challenge. Evidently, an immersed disciple of Christ can turn his back on God and Christ in some way. It is a perilous situation. James says it's perilous. His past, present, and future sins are now placed back on him. He's turned his back. He hasn't just erred, as we all do, but he's turned his back on God. That's another story. In essence, he is as if he were an alien sinner. Romans brings this up pretty clearly. His soul is in jeopardy. He has wandered from the truth. He needs help. He needs help. Who better to help than somebody of a spiritual, like an elder, in certain situations who someone is sick and they need help? He needs help in being brought back to a proper relationship with God through Christ. In this case, he is deathly sick in a spiritual way. Deathly sick, especially. But there is hope, is there not? I think it would help if we just recognize that people are going to struggle in this life. I think if we get by that and, and that shock factor that we so desperately don't want to deal with, how much easier are we to go, I'm here to help you. I'm not ashamed. I'll love you. I'll bring you back in to help you come back into fellowship through Christ. He needs to repent. He may desperately need other Christians to bring him back. But in the end, it is his decision to repent, is it not? When you're in the ambulance and you need a heart monitor or you need a uh, the fibrillation or whatever that's called, you're usually laying there and you're, they're not asking your permission. Yet in spiritual sickness... You need to receive permission to help somebody. You can't just stick them up to a machine and go, well, here I go, I'm going to take care of you. No. A big dose of repenting needs to come involved in this. A change of life. When he repents, what do we do? We rejoice. We rejoice. Why? Because it's a salvation issue. It's a salvation issue. The person has wandered from the truth. We can go to Hebrews, we can go to Romans, and we can see how 
When you leave Christ, you're in dire straits. You need to repent and come back. And James is just writing it in a different way for us to understand the same concept. I would say everybody in here has known that understanding. Maybe not personally, but with others in their family. And have seen the great results of somebody coming back. That strength sometimes that comes in there. That determination to say, I'm sticking to my commitment to Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to wander away. That is a rejoicing moment. So whether an alien sinner or a repentant wanderer has repented and chosen to follow Christ in truth, it makes sense to rejoice. It makes sense to rejoice. The lesson is, James, it makes sense. Prayer. Prayer is a blessing that should be a common and daily part of our life. Confess is an opportunity to declare our need for Christ and salvation through Him. Rejoice is a great time for us to recognize when someone turns to God through Christ or turns back to God and Christ from a wandering from the truth, It's a good time to rejoice. It's a good time to rejoice. James has been a good study of God's word, I think. It should be our last lesson going with James at this juncture and with the newsletters that have been written out there. Just remember, God's word makes sense. It's important to follow God's teachings. If there's anybody here this morning who has any needs, concerns, confessions that you'd like to do in public or other opportunities to rejoice and share, please come forward now as together we stand and sing. We